Our scripture that was read came from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, the third chapter, and the reading went from the 16th through to the 28th verses. But allow me to just lift up the 28th verse for the moment. And it reads, When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Our text today picks up what is perhaps the best known story of Solomon's wisdom on display. Now, as I've always told you, the Bible speaks to us in three ways. It speaks to us literally, it speaks to us symbolically, and it speaks to us spiritually. By speaking to us literally, it means that the events that the Bible speaks of actually took place. And by being symbolic in its language, it means that the roles and the characters in the stories paint and serve as a picture of something or someone else. And finally, in speaking to us spiritually, it means that the Bible and its stories has some kind of spiritual significance which forms the substance underneath the story. So with all that we see happening in our society today, where equal justice under the law seems to be reserved for only a privileged few, I thought I would speak a message on God's justice and to help us guide us in this message, I'll be preaching from a title, The Good Fruit. The Good Fruit. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have come now to the preaching hour. Lord, you know what has been prepared. You know what has been thought through and studied. But now, Lord, we need you to add your fingerprint on this message. So dip this word now in the lightning of your spirit and let it charge the atmosphere for the hearers. May us not only be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Breathe now on this preacher. Breathe now on this word. And make them both live. In Jesus' name, amen. I have shared my testimony before. But in light of today's message, it bears repeating. As many of you know, I spent about 16 years working for Verizon before I chose to retire from the company. I had received multiple promotions through my years there, and at the time of my leaving, I had risen to the level of an executive with global responsibilities. When I left Verizon, I really did not want to leave. I had a mortgage. I had a child in private school. I had multiple financial obligations, which required that my wife and I maintain our level of income. But at that time, I felt the tug of God calling me to the work of ministry. And that call meant that I could not do both. God had brought me to the valley of decision. 
After all that I had invested in that company, God brought me to a place where I had to make a judgment call regarding which way I and my family would go. I had to decide either to stay with the company that supported my family's lifestyle or take a journey into the unknown where I could end up losing it all. On the one hand, I could live for God. On the other hand, I could live for me. On the one hand, I could choose God. On the other hand, I could choose mammon. And to make it even more plain, on the one hand, I could choose life. And on the other hand, I could choose death. And whichever road I would choose to take, the choice would forever shape my relationship with God. I had a real dilemma, and I did not know what to do. As I stated before, I really did not want to leave the company. But the thing that brought me to the place where I was eventually able to decide to leave was when God spoke these words into my spirit. He said, whatever you are not willing to let go of, you do not deserve to have, for you would have made it an idol over me. Those are the words I heard in my spirit. This was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back for me, you see, I was not really ready to give up my stellar 16-year career. I was not really ready to give up my financial comforts. I was not really ready to give up my level of authority. I was not ready to give up my strategic influence. And I definitely was not ready to give up my power. Why? Because I liked the world. I liked mammon. I liked material blessings. I liked going my own way and I did not want God interfering with my plans. But as I stood at the impasse of whether to stay or to leave, it was the truth about my situation that made the decision easier. God said, Whatever you are not willing to let go of, you do not deserve to have because you would have made it an idol over me. That was the truth that cut between my indecision. To leave Verizon meant that I had to believe God's truth and God's word. And I had to die to every part of myself that was seeking to rely on my own strength, on my own might, as opposed to relying on God. It's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This statement confirms that whenever we are placed in a situation where we have to make very tough decisions, the only way out is to seek the wisdom of God. And that only way is to acknowledge that Jesus already knows what's best for us. Now what I have come to love about my story is that when Jesus leads, his truth will indeed make you free. Now to be sure, I'm not without struggle. But what I can tell you is that when Jesus made the cut for me and his word came, it was cut so well that after leaving Verizon for almost 11 years, I can say I am free. By way of background, 
In our story, King Solomon was the illegitimate child of an adulterous affair between King David and Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. David, you remember, saw Bathsheba from his porch and he desired her. David then had her brought to the palace. After all, he was king. And not too long thereafter, she sent word to David that she had become pregnant. David then concocted a scheme to have her husband Uriah come home from the war, hoping that he would go home and be with his wife, thereby making it seem that he was the father. But David's plan backfired when Uriah proved to be an honorable man who would not enjoy the spoils of his own marriage while his men were out fighting a war. David then had Uriah sent to the most dangerous part of the battle where he would eventually be killed. And David was now free to be with Bathsheba. Now we know the child died, but then they had another child, and that child was Solomon. Now Solomon, as a biblical king, was most famous for his wisdom. When he became king, he sacrificed to God and prayed that God would grant him wisdom to rule his kingdom justly. God personally answered his prayer, granting him wisdom to enact justice. And because he did not ask for anything self-serving, like long life or even the death of his enemies, God also gave him great wealth. Now, as I stated before, the Bible speaks to us literally, symbolically, and spiritually. Let's look at the significance of each of these in the context of our story. From a literal perspective, King Solomon was confronted by two women who each claimed to be the mother of the same child. Solomon easily got to the truth by commanding that a sword be brought and ordered that the child be cut in half and shared between the two women. One woman promptly renounced her claim, stating that she would rather give up the child than to see it killed. The other woman said, no, kill the child, because if she can't have it, none of them will. Solomon then declared that the woman who showed compassion on the child had to be the true mother, and therefore entitled to the whole child. The story is simple in its representation, yet it is filled with a lot of truths. Certainly a lot of symbolism. But as we analyze the story, I want to make four literal observations. Number one, the text tells us that it was two prostitutes that came before the judge. The story is in no way making a moral judgment based on what the women did for a living. And by telling us that they were prostitutes, the author was letting us know that despite any moral depravity in someone's character, they are not outside the scope of justice. To add emphasis to this point, we see how this society deals with victims of crimes. If you are killed while being black, it must be because you have a history of drug use or you had an outstanding misdemeanor ticket. Or if you're a woman that has been violated sexually, it must be because you wore something provocative and that you asked 
for it. In both of these instances that I'm telling you, it points to the fact that there are many in our society, and in particular, those in law enforcement in this country who choose to denigrate and assassinate the characters of victims simply because of their own societal privilege. They use their authority to forcefully deny victims and their families equal justice and equal protection under the law. And by those who are in law enforcement, I don't just mean police officers. I'm talking about judges and legislators. I, I'm talking about mayors and officials who all have the responsibility of protecting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone, no matter what you think about their race, their color, their creed, or the quality of their character. What difference does it make if George Floyd had trace amounts of drugs in his system? Does that justify death by knee? And what do you mean you don't know the difference between a taser and a Glock? Church, let me not mince my words. There are killers and murderers amongst us. Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And a lot of them, they wear blue and they are protected by those who wear black robes like mine, both in the pulpit and on the judicial bench. For hear me clearly, not all hoods are white. But however seemingly immoral you may be to people, or immorally depraved you may think you are, you are still a person with dignity and you still have a right to a fair hearing that cannot be denied no matter your station in life. Whatever that may be, it does not preclude you from obtaining justice. Two prostitutes came before the king needing, seeking justice. Secondly, both women came from the same house. This is significant because quite often it's the people that are closest to you that are most capable of robbing you of your dreams and your future. Not because you may have the same background or come from the same neighborhood or identify with the same circumstances does it mean that you share the same goals and interests. Sometimes you are better off trusting a stranger than someone close to you because the ones that are close to you are the ones who know your secret. So they are the only ones, as Bob Marley says, who can reveal it. It is commonly said that all, not all my skin folk is my kin folk, which means we have to be very careful who we are allowing into our private spaces, for very often it's the one you are so familiar with that will steal and kill your dreams. Third, there was no way to know who was telling the truth. And I'm still talking about the literal interpretation. There was no way to tell which one of those women were telling the truth. All Solomon knew was that two mothers had children that were close in age and that the only thing that could distinguish between each other was the fact that one had a child that was living and one had a child that was 
dead. These are the facts of the case. So how could Solomon, how could he judge between the two? This is the classic case of he said, she said. And Solomon had a real dilemma because he didn't have the benefit of DNA. But what Solomon had was the benefit of the Holy Ghost. And this evidence, even though one may have been sincere, the fact of the matter is there are some things in life, especially when it comes to justice, that only God can do without sufficient evidence. It's almost impossible to make the right call. And even when you have evidence, like a video, you still make the wrong call. The fact is, very often in life, we're going to be placed in situations where the decision to go in one direction or another is not very clear. And all we have to depend on is something way outside of our own selves. The Holy Ghost, such was my decision to leave Verizon. And finally, number four, the truth is exposed by the one with the most to lose. Solomon, with his God-given wisdom, knew something about human nature and the human spirit. You see, both women were contending for a good thing, life. However, only one was entitled to it because her child had not died. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. Whenever you have everything to lose or even think you have everything to lose, you are often most likely to surrender your own entitlement and your own liberty for the good of what you believe. You cannot hide your true nature when you have everything at stake. This is what I'm talking about. The souls of black people. We have nothing more to hide. So when we forgive, when we love, when we say that we will work with you, when we do all of that, it's coming from a place where we have nothing else to lose. So what you see is our heart. However, as we saw with the woman whose baby had died, she had nothing to lose. Not everything to lose, nothing to lose. And because she had nothing to lose, her deeper sin was exposed by the evil in her own heart. So much so that she would prefer to see someone else experience the same pain that she felt. It, it, is, it is one thing to have lost something or someone dear to you and grieve. But it's an entirely different thing to want someone else to have to experience your same grief as well. This is sin at its highest level. If I can't have it, neither can you. But Solomon, he exacted righteous judgment when he called for the death of the living child because it served to expose the true condition of the hearts of both of these women. But all that was just literally interpreting the scriptures. What actually took place? But there's still a deeper element to the story, and now we look at it symbolically. We can extract this symbolic element by looking more closely at certain character roles in this story. Number one, we have two sinful women, but one with a heart that is more selfless than the other. Number two, we have a king who is a righteous judge. Number three, we have a sword. And number four, we have a king 
willing to sacrifice a son. As I stated before, the two sinful women were literally from the same house, which is both symbolic of the church and the world. In fact, right here, even now, as part of this church, there are people who are represented by either one of these two women. Some people are represented by the one whose child is alive, and some people are represented by the one whose child is dead. What does that mean? There are some people in our ministry that are spiritually alive, but there are some people who are spiritually dead, coming, both coming from the same house. I don't know which one you are, because I am not your judge, but you know where you are spiritually. Either you're spiritually alive in ministry, or you're spiritually dead in your spirit. But what I do know is that as I preach the word of God faithfully, it functions very much like a sword, which cuts you right between your two natures that are at odds with each other within your very soul. Here is what it says in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the 12th through the 13th verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder between soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things, hear me church, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So there is a time, this is the text, coming when even the thoughts and intentions of your hearts will be opened up. All of your secrets will be spread out for God to see and for God to make a decision. Did you hear that? There is a time coming when even the thoughts and intentions of your heart and my heart will be opened up all of our secrets will be spread out before God and for him to see and for him to make the final decision. Which brings us to the third and final point, the spiritual implication of the story. We're living in a world where it seems that in this house, the world that is, Lady Justice is not only blind, but she is also unfair as she tips the scale towards the white, the blue, the wealthy, the entitled, and the privileged. Let's call it what it is. The scales are tipped for those who have that kind of power. And also in this same house, there's also the weak, the poor, the widowed, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and the underprivileged. But, but both of these groups are the two women represented in our story. And they have another thing in common. They both bear children, which is their fruit. Now, now, now you don't have to guess. And for those who have ears to hear, Spirit of the living God, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear the words. One group has borne a fruit that has rotted with the maggots of wealth, privilege, and entitlement. The other group 
has borne good fruit from their blood, sweat, and tears that have been sown through the years of injustice and unfair practices by the dominant class. But the group whose fruit has rotted has, without fail, spent generations trying to steal the good fruit from the other group. For whatever reason, they tried to steal the good fruit with their institution of slavery. They tried to steal the good fruit with their segregationist laws and Jim Crow. They tried to steal the good fruit with their voter suppression and intimidation tactics. They tried to steal the good fruit when they bombed and shoot up the churches. They tried to steal the good fruit when, with their white supremacy and their racism. They, they tried to steal the good fruit with their police brutality and domestic terrorism. I'm saying it. They tried to steal the good fruit with their corrupt judges, legislators, and presidents. And they are trying to do it all over again. Oh, 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 but but today I came to tell someone who needs to know that when those two groups, those two sinful women came before the righteous judge, he sent for the sword. He sent for the sword. And, 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 but, but when he sent for the sword, he did not also send for the disputed son of the two women. Oh, no. He sent for his own son. And, and, and when his son came, the righteous judge took the sword and he did not hesitate to sacrifice his son. And, and not only his son, but his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him and call upon his name would be saved. <laughs> and when that son was buried, little did they know that he was merely a seed. But beloved, hear me spiritually in your spirit. If you want to stop a seed from growing and bearing fruit, good fruit, the last thing you need to do is to bury it. The last thing you need to do is to bury it. For three days later, that seed germinated and grew into the greatest tree that anyone had ever seen. And that tree, it bore the greatest fruit of all, which is the fruit of forgiveness and grace. And it is still bearing good fruit today in the lives of all those who would yet believe. So when we think about the judgment of Solomon, Jesus said in Matthew, the 12th chapter and the 42nd verse, he said that something greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus was saying that his judgment was even greater than Solomon's judgment. And that his wisdom was even greater than Solomon's wisdom. Solomon then becomes a picture, a symbol of a more important judgment 
that is still coming at some point in the future. It is a time when the Lord will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, black, white, green, yellow, pink, blue, and indigo. And he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is the final cut. And Jesus will be our righteous judge when this life and all of this is over. So my brothers and my sisters, do not lose heart or get discouraged because Lady Justice seems to have ignored Emmett, Trayvon, Tamir, Brianna, countless others, and sadly, maybe even George. Remember that a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted Jesus, hear me church, if they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us. But, 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 when the righteous judge comes, and he will, he will make the final cut, and you need to be sure which side you are on. Over 11 years ago, I faced a dilemma in my career and made a simple decision to choose service to God and his church, not service to myself and the world. I chose God and I am free for having done so today. My decision was minor compared to the one that you might be facing today. And, and I'm telling you, like the woman whose child it was, who knew that she had born this child, she knew the child through her own motherly instinct, saw that her child was in danger, chose to surrender him so that he might live. You need to surrender something so that you can live. The good news, <laughs> the good news is that if you choose life in Christ, he already made the choice easy for you. He took away your rotted fruit and traded it in for his own good fruit and and now you can claim his fruit so to make it plain choose today choose today whom you may serve and if you make the choice of a life in Christ today then you can't help but become free and no matter what adversity or challenge may face or come your way, even us as a people who are facing tremendous persecution with this system of injustice, that we as a church are not standing idly by, but calling it out. And for every blood that has been shed innocently, just like Abel, it cries out to God from the earth. But Cain, Cain, you know yourself. You know yourself, Cain. Judgment is coming, but it will begin at the house of the Lord. For we're both dwelling together, but the righteous judge is on his way. 
And if we can tarry just a little bit longer, my brothers and my sisters, no matter what happens, we will always be able to bear good fruit, for we call on Jesus' name. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.